C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safe, CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash Radio. It's a great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Dr. Imrana Malik, Associate Professor in the Department of Critical Care at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and Coordinator of Global Sepsis Alliance Advance with Dr. Ron Daniels, physician, founder and CEO of the UK Sepsis Trust and member of the board of the Global Sepsis Alliance. We welcome you both to the program today, doctors. Thank you, Nancy. Happy to be here. Wow, thank you. I know that today you're going to be discussing the misdiagnosis, now a global health priority for World Health Organization. At this time, um, Dr. Malik, would you mind introducing yourself to our global listeners? Yes, um, and as you mentioned, I'm an associate professor at MD Anderson Cancer Center in the Department of Critical Care. In my practice, I manage medical and surgical patients in the intensive care unit, and my research interest is primarily in sepsis in cancer patients. I'm also the coordinator of the Global Sepsis Alliance Advance Program, which uh, basically organizes sepsis supporters from around the world to advance the overall mission of the Global Sepsis Alliance. Well, thank you so much for that, Dr. Malik, and we welcome you. And Dr. Daniels, uh, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners also? Not at all. My name is Ron Daniels. I'm a consultant physician in the UK, specializing also in critical care or intensive care. Uh, I'm full-time employed with the NHS, but I'm also chief executive and founder of the UK Sepsis Trust, and I'm chief executive of the Global Sepsis Alliance in the latter capacity, providing advisory work to the World Health Organization and also sponsorship and uh, the drive behind this resolution. Well, wonderful. And both of you doctors, we thank you so much for all the hard work and all the dedication that you have in not only the healthcare uh, profession, but in the sepsis um, arena and community. And with that, I would like to ask um, Dr. Malik, if you wouldn't mind starting off and leading us, if you could explain and define what sepsis is uh, to our audience. Sure. Uh, Sepsis is essentially the number one preventable cause of death worldwide. And it occurs as a final common pathway for all acute infections. Um, This is when the body has an uncontrolled and overstimulated immune response to an infection, thus leading to tissue and organ injury. Now, that injury can manifest itself as multiple organs failing, uh, as outright shock, or even death. Um, Sepsis is essentially an equal opportunity offender. It occurs regardless of age, gender, socioeconomic status. In the United States, specifically, sepsis is estimated as having over 750,000 new cases annually, 
with an overall in-hospital mortality rate uh, up to 30%. This accrues a financial burden of approximately $20 billion annually for the United States. Wow. And um, Dr. Daniels, um, could you add to that on what you see over in the UK? Certainly. And just to build on what Dr. Malik um, articulated very well, the important thing to note is that this is a condition that is the body's response to any one of a number of common infections. They're usually bacterial, not exclusively bacterial, but it's everyday infections, chest infection, water infections, something as simple as a cut or a bite or a sting and soft tissue infections resulting. Those are the things that cause sepsis. In the UK, we estimate we see around 260,000 episodes of sepsis every year, which um, correlates relatively well with the US data. But we recently undertook um, a commission to an independent health economics consortium, so a commission to a bunch of experts in health economics, and they estimate that in the UK alone, we're seeing a cost apportioned to sepsis of 15.6 billion pounds, so getting on for $20 billion. So it might be that if we undertook the same study in the US, the cost to the US economy would be even higher. That's incredible. Uh, unbelievable, really. I didn't even know myself that was that high. And um, Dr. Daniels, 10 days ago, the World Health Assembly adopted a resolution on sepsis. What exactly is the World Health Assembly and what does this mean for the global, fl- the, the global fight against sepsis? The World Health Assembly is the decision-making body for the World Health Organization. So they meet annually They consider resolutions. They deal, of course, with governance and business matters. But importantly, they can consider and set new priorities for the World Health Organization in the coming years. So this is astonishing. This is absolutely massive, not only for the community fighting the good fight against sepsis, but also for the stance of infections that aren't currently afforded world status. The fight will be taken to the 194 member states of the World Health Organization. Their governments will be asked to formulate national action plans on sepsis, which will include uh, items relevant to infections in general, access to vaccinations, access to basic sanitation and hygiene, better measurement, education of health professionals, and most importantly, education of the public. That's wonderful, and congratulations on that. And Dr. Malik, what implications will the adoption of the resolution have? Well, I think it's going to be pretty profound. The implications worldwide are going to be felt, but we are certainly at the beginnings of this fight um, with sepsis. The uh, World Health Organization allocated approximately $4.6 million to help implement these resolutions. But I think that what's going to be most important is the governments helping to encourage um, and support uh, their institutions in actually uh, in, in instituting and starting these um, these measures. So the this resolution can potentially be used as a directive in those healthcare settings to bring about improvement in the sepsis ongoing sepsis identification and treatment. And additionally, I think it'll be important that uh, the resolution calls for a 2020 report to the 
World Health Assembly on how well these resolutions are being implemented. And I think that will be very telling and will help guide further steps. Okay. And Dr. Malik, um, the fight against sepsis hasn't yet, not yet been won, correct? Absolutely. I think that we are well still into in the trenches. We have, at the very minimum, a lot of education that needs to be done, not just in the healthcare setting, but in within the lay public, in identifying as quickly as possible the onset of sepsis. We're even at those beginnings right now. So for us to move forward from that in implementing the pr- appropriate measures and then um, winning that battle, we are very far behind. But as Dr. Daniels mentioned, we do ha- have, especially in the developed countries, more and more data, and that's extremely helpful. Um, knowing, you know, what you're up against it helps tremendously in uh, fighting that battle, but we certainly are very far behind still. Okay. And Dr. Daniels, what are the next steps the Global Sepsis Alliance is planning to take to help implement the demands of this resolution? So in terms of the immediate steps, the steps, if you like, for the remainder of 2017, we've got, I think, best described as two low-level steps and and one very high-level step. And the the two low-level, the detailed steps, we're establishing a global task force, and this will include membership of the uh, Global Sepsis Alliance Executive Board. It will include the relevant membership from the World Health Organization. Together, we anticipate with membership from other stakeholders, from other organizations. What we need to do is to set out the blueprint to understand the needs of individual member states, to provide opportunities for individual member states to improve, and to learn from each other Develop the people working in developed countries with expertise in change management in those countries cannot understand the unique needs of those working in low and middle income countries. And these countries need to have an equal voice in this process. The second um, detail step is to improve the way sepsis is recorded in an entity called the Global Burden of Diseases Report. What this does is it demonstrates to policymakers around the world what the crisis diseases are. And currently, sepsis is poorly recognized. The way in which we can do that is to influence change in the international classification of disease, which is a WHO-affiliated entity, and we're taking steps to make that happen. And in terms of the high level, we will continue our advocacy efforts. So the Global Sepsis Alliance represents more than 80 countries worldwide. It's got Um, dozens of professional bodies engaged and we will continue our efforts to engage governments in the organizations that are members of our organization in order that they can better approach their governments to affect this change. I think what we'll likely see is some very early adopters, some very rapid progress in some countries, some good learning from countries that are already on this pathway, but over the years we'll we'll need to encourage those countries that are finding it difficult to act to do so. Yes, exactly, Doctor. And Dr. Smalik and Dr. Daniels, thank you for sharing this important information with our listeners today. We're going to pause right now for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing misdiagnosepsis, now a global health priority for World Health Organization. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff Spores and More, Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. Our guests are Dr. Imrana Amalek, Associate Professor in the Department of Critical Care at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and Coordinator of Global Sepsis Alliance Advance. Also joining us is Dr. Ron Daniels, Founder of the CEO and of the UK Sepsis Trust and member of the Board of the Global Alliance. And we welcome you both back to the program, and I, um, I am so appreciative for you both being here today. Thank you. And Dr. Daniels, um, could you please tell us a little bit about when and how you first came in contact with sepsis? Sure. Well, in general terms, of course, as a hospital clinician, I encounter sepsis on an almost everyday basis. I work in intensive care. It is, as Dr. Malik's previously said, the most common preventable cause of death in hospitals in developed worlds, and probably the most common preventable cause of death worldwide in low and middle income countries across the board. So sepsis is by no means uncommon. The single point at which I resolved to do something about this was when I watched a young 37-year-old man die on my intensive care unit. And I was talking to his wife, and it became apparent that opportunities to save him hadn't been taken, both in the community and indeed in my hospital. And it firstly struck me as unjust. 
secondly, as I was following his wife, Karen, down the hospital corridor to speak to her in the relatives interview room, it struck me looking at this young woman's back that I was about to take her into that room and tell her that her young husband wasn't coming home. She would have to go home and tell their two children, Tom and Emily, that daddy wasn't coming home. I knew two things. Firstly, they would never have heard of sepsis. And secondly, if she had asked me, could this have been prevented, I would have had to say yes. Just heartbreaking. Really, really heartbreaking. I'm so sorry for that family, too. And there are many families that witness this, aren't there, doctor? Well, there certainly are. Um, In the UK alone, we see over a quarter of a million episodes and somewhere of the order of 44,000 fatalities every year from sepsis. Globally, of course, the picture is even bigger. There are between 20 and 30 million families affected by sepsis every year, with around 6 million of those families having to deal with bereavement as a result. Um, Terribly sorry. And Doctor, at what point did you realize that you wanted to become involved in a nonprofit organization, or in your case, you even saw the need to found a completely new one? Absolutely. The first couple of years of my journey with sepsis following the death of this young man were a more traditional healthcare professional approach. I started educating, designing care pathways, doing research, understanding better how healthcare systems could respond to this problem. But after those early years, it became apparent to me that so much more needed to be done. A huge part of this is involving the public in the discussion. In the UK, we've recently launched a public awareness campaign with the government entitled Just Ask, Could It Be Sepsis? The reality is, in the developed world, people are sitting in their homes deteriorating with infection, not feeling empowered, not knowing what to do. So we have to engage the public. And furthermore, and equally importantly, we felt the need that we had to provide support to the families affected. Well, and thank you for that, Doctor. And um, Dr. Daniels, and what exactly is your role within the UK Sepsis Trust and within the Global Sepsis Alliance? So with the UK Sepsis Trust, I'm the founder and I'm the chief executive. I'm, if you like, the, the spokesperson of the trust. I'm the person that is put forward when there's a request for a media interview. I'm the person who engages with our royal colleges, who enters into discussions with the NHS, with the Department of Health and with our government. So I'm involved in strategy. I'm involved in ensuring our governance is correct. But importantly, I'm involved in clinical decision making, clinical strategizing, providing the right tools and liaising with the agencies to make that happen. In the Global Sets Alliance, I'm also chief executive. The role, um, of course, involves, as it always does, being part of the executive board. And most recently, our focus has been on getting this World Health Organization to a resolution on sepsis adopted. We've been working very hard in creating the resolution, bringing it forward, negotiating with ministers in the various supporting countries, and making sure that the scene was set for the WHO to endorse it, as indeed they did. And that's wonderful. And that was the most successful yet, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. This is a transformational change. Well, it's wonderful. And, Doctor, what are the challenges you are facing from a medical and from a political perspective? From a medical perspective, I think the biggest perceived challenge is the potential conflict with the messaging around antimicrobial resistance, the very real message 
that we're running out of effective antimicrobials, that we need to use them wisely, that we shouldn't be prescribing antimicrobials when they're not needed. But of course, the reality is that the message around treating sepsis rapidly and preserving antimicrobials, the two messages are entirely compatible. Patients with sepsis are exactly the cohort of patients for whom we need to save these antimicrobials because without those antimicrobials, these patients will all die. And as I've already said, that will be at least 20 million deaths every year worldwide right now and escalating year on year. From a political perspective, of course, in the UK, on Thursday, we have a general election. So we've worked hard to enjoy a good relationship with our Secretary of State for Health, our Health Minister over here. Should there be a party change, then we will have to start those relationship building all over again. Globally, from a political perspective, it's about engaging governments all around the world. Our journey, as Dr. Malik intimated, has just started following this resolution. As I've already said, we will have the countries who are already engaged in this path, but we have a hard job to persuade the governments in other countries to sit up and take notes. Exactly. And the journey has just begun, but it's, uh, it an, such, an, it's such an important one. Yeah. And doctor, what initiatives and projects has the UK Sepsis Trust planned for the remainder of 2017? So the main projects that we have planned are around awareness among the public together with better data. So we've already issued with the UK government a public awareness campaign around sepsis in children, empowering parents to ask, could this be sepsis? What that's looked like is we've printed 1.8 million posters and leaflets and safety netting cards to distribute to parents. So every new parent of the 600,000 new parents, um, 600,000 new births, so potentially 1.2 million new parents, has received copies of information around sepsis and what to do. We need to extend this to sepsis in adults, which is far more prevalent now. The way in which we're proposing to do that is we don't have a big advertising budget we have to use existing resources. There are somewhere of the order of 6,000 ambulances cruising the streets of England every year. And as a first step, we'll be including messaging on ambulances. We'll be including messaging on bus shelters, on signposting above freeways, every available space that we can use, every advertising space that we can influence to host the messaging at reduced cost or no cost, we will be holding the messaging. So we intend to get the message out there to the public. Secondly, data. As I intimated, I can't tell you how many cases of C. diff caused sepsis in England, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland last year. We need to understand this better. We intend that we will hold a sepsis registry nationally that will capture proper data about everyone who suffers the condition, how well they were treated, how poorly they were treated, whether this linked to them surviving or not surviving. And if they did survive, what happened to them afterwards? Did they go straight back to work? Were they productive members of society? Were they able to care for their families? Or was this not the case? Were they spending nine months, a year, 18 months, struggling to recover a quality of life? We don't know the answers to these questions yet. We think we know, but we need a registry to sort this out. Well, those are wonderful um, planned uh, events and the moving uh, advertisements will definitely catch a a person's eye in any uh, community. And we wish you well with all of that. And 
Doctor, before we go to commercial, would you like to share any other information with our audience today? I would. There's two things. Firstly, if you or a loved one has an infection, we all know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. But something just doesn't feel quite right and you feel very much worse than you've ever felt before, remember to ask a health professional, could this be sepsis? Secondly, if people want to know more about sepsis and educate themselves in a way that uh, they, they perceive to be entertaining, whilst possibly emotional, there's two potential resources they can reach out to. There's a wonderful book called Every Three and a Half Heartbeats by Amanda Prowse. That's P-R-O-W-S-E. It's available on Amazon and so forth, and it describes a family torn apart when their little girl dies of sepsis. It's a hugely haunting read, but it's beautiful. Secondly, if you prefer visual entertainment, there's a film called Starfish, which again is available um, on, with, on, with online providers. And that is the story of a young man with a young family who suffered sepsis. His diagnosis was delayed. He lost all four limbs, part of his face, and had to undergo extensive reconstructive surgery. It's a story of hope, determination, family, overcoming almost unimaginable adversity. This man tells me that he went to sleep in one millennium, or rather went into an induced coma in one millennium. When he woke up, it was another millennium, and he had an eight-month-old daughter he'd never even met. Such is the impact of sepsis, if we get it wrong. Just unbelievable. I'm, I'm speechless. And I mean, Dr. Daniels, you've shared so much information with our listeners right now, and we thank you so much for doing so. Right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break. Uh, when we return, we will continue discussing misdiagnosis, now a global health priority for World Health Organization. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-CDIF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1 844 4CDF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. 
Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call 1-844-367-2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. Our guests are Dr. Imra- Imrana Malik, Associate Professor in the Department of Critical Care at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and Coordinator of Global Sepsis Alliance Advance. Along with Dr. Malik is Dr. Ron Daniels, physician, founder and CEO of the UK Sepsis Trust and member of the board of the Global Sepsis Alliance. They are here to discuss the misdiagnosed sepsis, now a global health priority for World Health Organization. It's a great pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Imrana Malik, to discuss her involvement with sepsis and the organization's raising awareness. Welcome to the program, Dr. Malik. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you for joining us. And Dr. Malik, could you please tell us a little bit about when and how you first came in contact with sepsis? Well, for me, sepsis um, was taught in medical school. It was taught in my training. And um, as I started my practice in intensive care medicine, I found sepsis was a battle that I was fighting daily. Uh, This is especially true in the immunocompromised individuals such as the cancer patients that I take care of every day. And um, it's pretty daunting to see that occur uh, every day while you're taking care of multiple patients. And at some point, you have to ask yourself, why are we still having this battle? Why Why can we not seem to win this fight? And I think looking at the overwhelming evidence that we have of patients who very quickly become ill, very quickly um, become part of the statistics for mortality for sepsis, you have to really question why can't we get a handle on this now in 2017. Um, And that's really what drove me to look into this and to make it my research interest. Um, Specifically in the cancer population, sepsis and infection are very common they can lead to mortality rates up to 50% higher than in non-cancer patients. And some of the reasons for this are that 
simply their immune systems are suppressed by the underlying cancers um, of these individuals. They also may have periods of low blood counts or neutropenia from their chemotherapy, and those counts, when they are low, are unable to help fight infections, and thus the infections progress, and the organ systems start to fail, and these individuals can very quickly become extremely ill. Uh, The patients uh, who have cancer commonly receive prophylactic antibiotics to protect them from potential infections, but this can lead to antimicrobial resistance, as Dr. Uh, Daniels had mentioned, and this can then limit treatment options, which is uh, extremely important for us to have appropriate antibiotics for our patients who within our coverage and improve um, their mortality and outcome. These patients may also have long-term central venous catheters in, installed, which can get infected and can be very difficult to remove in some cases because their platelet counts may be too low. And um, they have a lot of uh, uh, common problems that make it more difficult for us to battle the infection in these people. Dr. Malik, at what time did you realize uh, that you wanted to become part of and involved in a nonprofit organization? Well, I had first heard about the Global Sepsis Alliance and about Dr. Conrad Reinhardt, who is the chairman, in 2010, when he first launched the observance of World Sepsis Day on September 13th. I... Um, eagerly joined that movement that year, and I've then continued to bring sepsis awareness to my own institution as well as support the other Texas Medical Center institutions in Houston to annually host their events as well. Um, I think the World Sepsis Day Initiative has been amazingly successful as an endeavor, and the collaboration that it has fostered around the world is truly inspiring. Um, It's wonderful to see that each year more and more countries, more institutions and organizations, and even patient and family organizations are joining this initiative uh, for bringing awareness on World Sepsis Day. And now Global Sepsis Alliance has um, over 80 countries supporting the mission, the efforts um, of this organization. Exactly. And Dr. what exactly is your role within the Global Sepsis Alliance? Well, I started working with Global Sepsis Alliance in 2012, more officially as a member of the steering committee for World Sepsis Day. Uh, That's the committee that discusses the previous year's events and also the path forward for future events. Since then, um, I became more interested and involved in the other initiatives at the Global Sepsis Alliance, and I joined in as a member of the Quality Improvement Committee and of the Strategic Resources Committee. Most recently, though, I have helped develop the Global Sepsis Alliance Advance Program, for which I now serve as the coordinator. Okay, and can you tell us a little bit more about the Global Sepsis Alliance Advance Program? Uh, Sure. The program, we launched this just recently in March of this year, and um, it basically organizes sepsis supporters from around the world to advance the overall mission of the Global Sepsis Alliance. And that mission includes preventing infections that lead to sepsis, increasing awareness about sepsis among the public as well as healthcare workers, 
both locations, both venues need improvement in awareness. Um, another mission goal is improving access to health care and urgent responses to sepsis. And finally, providing access to adequate rehabilitation for every sepsis survivor. This is something that's frequently overlooked. The, the end result, the end product of what these sepsis survivors have to deal with when they are recovering, when they have recovered, and what they deal with as an aftermath. Um, within the Global Sepsis Alliance Advance Program, the goal, the goal is to develop multiple platforms eventually, such as junior faculty and trainees platform, a nurse's platform, a pharmacist platform. Uh, essentially, we're trying to gather up all of these resources under one big umbrella. We also want to make sure that we um, try to incorporate survivors and families. And I know that there are other organizations nationally and internationally that do that, and I think the goal would be to, to work together with them and bring everybody together to share these very strong and empowering stories. Exactly. Um, for the advanced program itself, we're currently taking applications on the Global Sepsis Alliance website for the junior faculty and trainees platform. Now, individuals can apply as general members or as potential representatives to various Global Sepsis Alliance committees and initiatives, and they can give their input based on their unique backgrounds or based on the collective input of the general membership as well. The membership for this um, has added benefits of gaining access to some of the most important um, professional uh, sepsis networks in the world and sepsis experts uh, that are involved. Um, a complete list of committees and initiatives is on the website, and you can access that at www.globalsepsisalliance.org. Wonderful. Dr. Malik, um, it's a great initiative that you're planning and, and it's being offered. And is it something that our listeners could also get involved in? Oh, absolutely. Yes. In fact, the current platform for junior faculty and trainees is set up to include individuals from all backgrounds, not just from medical backgrounds. So your listeners could certainly get involved by visiting the website and clicking on the Global Sepsis Alliance Advance page. We're looking for individuals who are motivated, passionate, willing to learn, willing to collaborate, all in the name of, of fighting sepsis. So absolutely, this would work for your listeners as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And before we go to break, Dr. Malik, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience today? Yes. Um, uh, as was mentioned before, um, you know, if the listening audience uh, members have had experience with sepsis or have family members who have or had it, we not only want you to, um, you know, share your stories um, locally, but share it with the Global Substance Alliance. Let's take it to a bigger platform, a, um, a larger audience. We want to learn from your stories, and um, we want to gain patient and family advocates in this fight. It's extremely, an extremely important component of this. So uh, please feel free to contact um, the Global Sepsis Alliance directly on their website, as I mentioned, globalsepsisalliance.org. 
Okay, and Dr. Malik, we thank you so much for being um, an advocate and for doing what you do for the good of others. Uh, Right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing misdiagnosed sepsis, now a global health priority for World Health Organization, with our guests, Dr. Imrana Malik and Dr. Ron Daniels. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. 
Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. Our guests are Dr. Ron Daniels, physician, founder, and CEO of the UK Sepsis Trust and member of the board of the Global Sepsis Alliance, with Dr. Emrana Malik, associate professor in the Department of Critical Care at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and coordinator of Global Sepsis Alliance Advance. They're here today to discuss... Misdiagnosed sepsis, now a global health priority for World Health Organization. It's a great pleasure to reintroduce both of our guests, Dr. Imrana Malik and Dr. Ron Daniels. Welcome back, doctors. Thank you. Thank you. You're most welcome, and we appreciate you being here today. And Dr. Imrana, um, Dr. Malik, would you mind telling um, and explaining to our listeners, um, elaborate on the connection between C. diff and sepsis? Sure. Um, Just like any other acute infection, C. diff infection can lead to sepsis as well. Most of these C. diff infections occur within the hospitals or in healthcare settings, but increasing numbers are actually occurring in the community as well. These infections can be even more dangerous and life-threatening in individuals who may have weak or weakened immune systems, such as in cancer patients that I deal with uh, daily or in the elderly population. Um, But as Dr. Daniels had mentioned before, um, surprisingly, uh, we do not have a lot of data on C. diff and sepsis. This is very poorly quantified. Uh, This is information that would be extremely helpful, but we just don't have the adequate uh, data sets to really get our hands around this problem and define it properly and thus manage it properly. So we're doing the best we can with extrapolated data from other acute infections and from uh, little, small uh, case series of uh, information. But more robust information is certainly necessary to look at this connection a little bit more deeply. Okay, and we understand that too with on the C. diff side also. And Dr. Daniels, why is awareness of sepsis so extremely important? It's important because sepsis is a time-critical condition, very much like trauma. And listeners will be familiar with the concept of the golden hour in trauma. In sepsis, it's exactly the same because in the most serious cases, for every hour treatment is delayed, the risk of death increases by nearly 8%. Now, of course, that means that healthcare systems, and particularly hospitals, have to up their game and act. But there's also an onus of duty on members of the public, on practitioners working outside hospitals, to be aware of sepsis, to think sepsis when presented with a loved one or a patient in whom you suspect an infection, but something just doesn't feel quite right and to rapidly transport these people to hospital. So the bottom line is, saving lines in sepsis is about communication, and heightening awareness will save thousands of lives in every member state. Okay, Dr. Daniels, thank you. And Dr. Malik, can you tell us more about the spotlight on maternal and neonatal sepsis? Sure. Um, This will be um, a free online congress with an aim to shine a spotlight on a largely neglected aspect of sepsis care, that of maternal and neonatal sepsis. Um, It'll be during the month of uh, September, which is sepsis month, and it's to be hosted by the Global Sepsis Alliance and the World Health Organization um, on September 12th. 
the Congress will consist of four distinct sessions from 24 renowned experts from around the world. And this will be, I think, very important in bringing the conversation about maternal and neonatal sepsis to the global stage. The uh, spotlight registration is actually now open, and it can be accessed at www.wscspotlight.org. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Malik. Dr. Daniels, um, before we close our program today, is there anything else you would like to share with our listening audience today? I would just like to reinforce what Dr. Malik said, that sepsis can arise as a consequence of any infection. And of course, as we all know, C. diff is a significant and high morbidity cause of infection. But anyone who's suffered infection is at risk of sepsis. Once again, it's just a plea to be aware. If we have an infection, we know something doesn't feel right, we need to ask of a health professional, could this be sepsis? Expect action if sepsis is suspected. Expect that that health professional will take steps to ensure you receive the right antimicrobials quickly, together with other aspects of care to improve your outcome from sepsis. It really is that critical. It really is that simple. It's about communication. If you do one thing, go away, tell 10 friends about sepsis, get sepsis into the public psyche, and make sure that we can all work together to fix this problem. Thank you, Dr. Daniels. Dr. Malik, before we um, close our program today, would you like to also add something to the program and um, to help our audience better understand the sepsis awareness? Absolutely. I think that um, we have tremendous amount of uh, really helpful information on the Global Sepsis Alliance website at globalsepsisalliance.org. And I also wanted to mention that there are the stories of those who have suffered sepsis and either succumbed to it or survived are extremely important and need to be shared. And this is underscored by one of the stories here in the United States uh, of a young boy, 12-year-old Rory Staunton, who a couple of years ago developed sepsis after a scrape on his arm and only a few days later died from severe sepsis, uh, multiple organ failure. And um, his parents have tirelessly worked to bring this story to the forefront to governmental agencies, and their work is starting to pay off. They recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine um, the viability of Rory's regulations in New York City, and um, this deemed sepsis a public health crisis worthy of policy response. Now, their work and um, and all their efforts were also um, a component um, of the World Health Assembly side event on sepsis, where they recognized what it took for this foundation, for this family, to fight the battles in New York State using Rory's regulations, which, um, according to the literature, have saved well beyond 5,000 people um, up to now. So I think these stories are extremely important, and I know that um, these stories are occurring nationally and internationally. Dr. Daniels shares about these stories um, 
through this UK Sepsis Trust. And these stories are powerful. They're bringing regulations to the forefront and they're making things happen. They're helping implement all of these measures that we are trying to discuss today. So I wanted to make sure that if there are stories out there, that please share them with us. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us too, Dr. Malik. And right now, Dr. Malik and Dr. Daniels, it was a pleasure having you both join us today. We thank you for your time and for providing us with a wealth of information for both patients, their families, fellow healthcare professionals, and we certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for inviting us. Um, you're very welcome. And uh, the CDF Foundation, uh, we all wish you, the uh, Global Sepsis Alliance, the UK Sepsis Trust, fellow sepsis organizations, uh, continued success in all that is being done to raise sepsis awareness for patient safety and for healthcare providers worldwide. We also uh, would like to congratulate you again on your accomplishments and are truly grateful for all that's been accomplished in your goals. We thank you for joining us today, and please join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time with our guests to discuss up-to-date information focused yet not limited to C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, clinical studies, environmental safety, and much more. We thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash radio. And we would also like to thank our Synthetic Biologics for being a diamond sponsor of the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place on November 9th and 10th in Las Vegas. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with a reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. 